I'm sure that some people that were here last week didn't want to come back after last week's message. I, uh, somebody came up to me after the, the sermon last week, and they said to me, well, you didn't make any friends tonight. And I said, well, it's a good thing that's not my job. So, um, no, I, it was a heavier text for sure. Um, but tonight, we will continue in Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to finish chapter 3 um, during our time this evening. And um, I pray that you would be encouraged as we look at God's Word and look at this exhortation to uh, the early believers, the Hebrews. And, um, you know, there is just so much wisdom to be found in this passage. And I have been challenged over uh, the, the days that I've been preparing these messages. It has definitely, um, I've had moments where I've definitely stopped and said, Lord, forgive me for the times that I've failed in this area. Um, and so... From my heart to yours, uh, none of us are above this, amen? We all can grow in these areas, um, and conviction is good. It's good because it should drive us to repentance and then uh, a deeper pursuit of holiness, amen? So uh, let's stand as we read the section together. I will be reading um, from the ESV tonight, and uh, I would encourage you to read along As we read from verse 7, we went to verse 6 last week, so we'll pick up in verse 7 of Hebrews 3, and it reads like this. Uh, The title in my Bible says, A Rest for the People of God. You may have something different, but that is pretty accurate as far as our context tonight. It says in verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with, a, a gen, with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, this is our title again, if indeed, if we hold fast or if we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Quoting Psalm 95 again. Verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You can have a seat. And would you pray with me? Lord, as we see our uh, text that we are in tonight, we pray for your insight and your leading and your guiding. We pray that you'd encourage us tonight, Lord, as we look at a difficult and challenging exhortation from the author of Hebrews to, uh, to hold fast, to hold fast, to not lose sight 
of our first love, to not lose sight of the hope that we have found in Jesus, in you, Lord. And so give us the the discernment that we need tonight as we navigate your scriptures, the wisdom and the insight that we need, and may we grow because we've spent time in your word, and we ask for you to guide and lead us now in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we begin, and the author says, therefore, so in light of what I have just said, and that was the text that we went through last week. So in light of the fact that Jesus is greater than Moses, he is the supreme high priest. He is the uh, ultimate ambassador. He exemplified what it is to live a life surrendered to the heavenly father, to our heavenly father. In light of the fact that now I've made it clear his day, Uh, that you consider your heavenly calling, as you see in verse 1 of chapter 3. Consider, uh, that is to think with much intention and, um, and, and, uh, and attention. Think, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And verse 2 of chapter 3 says, Who was faithful to him? who appointed him just as Moses was also faithful. And then the author, as we talked about last week, goes on to talk about how Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses, though he was a faithful servant, he was a servant. And he draws this um, picture of a a son versus a servant. And you could have a, a loyal servant in a household, and that's a beautiful, wonderful thing, but nothing replaces the son of the ruler of the house. And that's the picture uh, that the author is painting. He's saying, look, writing to a, a group of early Jews who are uh, Christians, and they're, they're faced with the temptation in the midst of persecution and trial uh, in their Christian life, uh, proclaiming Christ, they're facing persecution, and they're faced with the temptation to go back to Moses, to go back to the law, to go back to ultimately something that cannot satisfy. And you and I face the same temptations today, right? We, we're faced with the temptation to go back to Egypt, if you will, to go back to the things of the flesh. In fact, you and I are faced with temptations every single day, And we get to make a decision, a choice to be obedient and to honor God or to not and to cater to the flesh and to give way to sinful desires. And we know that uh, we talked about this last week, sin, when it is given uh, birth, what does it give birth to? Scripture says it gives birth to death. And so in light of all this is what our author is saying. He's saying in light of that, in light of this, I hope that everybody's okay out there. (laughs) Some screaming children. (laughs) In light of this, in light of the supremacy of Christ, his greatness, that he is the, the chief cornerstone. He is the one in whom our hope rests. In light of that, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So the, the picture continues to go back to the nation of Israel in their time of wandering in the wilderness. Turn with me to Psalm, to your left, to the Psalms. If you are new to the scriptures and you split your Bible in half, you'll be real close to the Psalms. Psalm 95. Psalm 95. And Psalm 95, and look at verse 6 of Psalm 95. Sorry. This is right in the spot I'm breathing. Psalm 95, verse 6. So this is the 
the uh, section that our writer of Hebrews is quoting. So this is, uh, I, want, I want to just remind you, I think this is good for us as Bible students. Remember, this is a letter being written to a group of Christians, and he is quoting Old Testament passages that this group of Jews is very well acquainted with. Right, And so they know the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament law very well. Um, And so he is quoting Psalm 95 without saying, hey guys, here's Psalm 95, uh, because he's assuming that they know the word of God. This is written to a group of Christians. I hope that you know the word of God tonight as a Christian. And if you uh, feel that you don't know the word of God well, there's a remedy to that. Do you know what it is? Read it. (laughs) I know, deep stuff tonight. If you want to know God's word more, read it. So he's quoting Psalm 95, verse 6, and verse 6 says uh, this section that we just read in our text in Hebrews. It says, um, sorry, did I give you the wrong address here? Are we in verse 6 of Psalm 95? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll read from verse six. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. This is an amazing verse. We have a lot of songs that use Psalm 95, six. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, here's our section. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me, that is the Lord God, to the test, Uh, They put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So the Lord is saying to the people through the psalmist, they had seen my faithfulness. They had seen my hand at work, and still they did not believe. And, and, you know, as as we read sections like this, you can turn back to uh, Hebrews. I just want to show you that, that section there. It's so easy for us to read sections like this and think, how could they have doubted? God's faithfulness. I mean, how could they have doubted him? Time and time again, God proved himself to be faithful to the nation of Israel. He he rescues them from slavery through uh, the leading. And, And you could go all the way back to the burning bush moment with Moses where the Lord reveals himself and says, it's gonna be you. And Moses is like, it's not gonna be me. You know anything about me? I'm, I don't speak well. I'm unqualified. All the excuses, right? All the things that probably most of us resonate with <laughs> when it comes to Moses. Every time I get up here, I feel inadequate because that's just the human condition. And the reality is that none of us are actually equipped. It's going to be anything good that comes from our life is going to be through the Lord's power. And so, you know, you go all the way back to the Lord speaking to Moses and you see his hand working as he's preparing a way to liberate the nation. And yet, within just probably a few weeks of them uh, being liberated from the hand of the, the Egyptians, there's already complaining and crying in the camp. Can I tell you that uh, oftentimes, the biggest complainers are my fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it's not a good testimony, is it? And all of us can become chronic complainers, right? Where in every situation we find something negative to dwell on. And some of you are wired this way and you know this about yourself, right? That you know that you are prone to whine. (laughs) You are prone to whine. 
And nobody likes being around a person who's constantly complaining. And maybe you know someone like this. Maybe you're sitting next to someone like this. Don't look at them right now. Unless they already know because it's your spouse. And then it's up to you if you want to sleep in the same bed as them tonight. But I, I know that this is a struggle for all of us, right? If we're being honest, all of us struggle. Every once in a while, you meet that really obnoxious person who's always just positive, right? Because <laughs> they make our sin look really bad, don't they? When you meet somebody who's just really you know, upbeat and positive about everything, and you want to complain, and that person is, is an inconvenience to you because they want to put a positive twist on everything. But praise the Lord for people like that. And frankly, we ought to be more like that. You know, the scripture says in the Psalms, Lord, restore me to the joy of my salvation. You know, frankly, as believers, we ought to be more joyful than any other people on the planet. And yet, we are often crippled by chronic complaining. And we can slip back into the, the, the stinking thinking, as Pastor Michael often puts it. And so, the exhortation, referring back to the Psalms and referring back to the occurrences of the nation of Israel in their early days of liberation out of Egypt, the writer is making the point, don't fall into this way of thinking and going back and focusing on the negative. And verse 10 of Hebrews 3 says, they always go astray where? In their heart. It always starts with our heart. And the problem with that is simple. When there's issues in our heart, other people, we can hide it from them pretty well. Right? See, if, if it's a physical thing, an outward thing, it's pretty quick to discover an issue, right? If somebody shows up with a broken arm and their arm is in a sling, it's pretty easy to identify that there's an issue, right? Because that issue is an exterior issue. The danger of a heart that is slowly becoming hardened is that oftentimes we are very good at keeping that hidden from the people around us. And so even those who, uh, maybe we do have all the right, uh, quote, systems in place, if you will, in our Christian life. We have accountability partners, and maybe you have a mentor, and maybe you have people that you can confide in and trust who you go to when you're struggling. But even them, they only can help you so much. You know, in ministry, we often say with people who walk in the doors of the church and need assistance, uh, oftentimes we are in a drug addiction epidemic in this country. We get many people who walk in the doors of the church, and they are struggling with some form of addiction. And can I tell you, my heart breaks for people who are struggling with addictions because an addiction is not something where you can just shake your finger at a person and say, well, you got to quit because there's a mental illness that's often associated with addiction. There are physical things. Your body becomes accustomed in the case of using drugs where your body craves that thing. And, and be even less than that, it could be something as simple as um, a, a, an addiction that can be easily hidden, right? Usually those who use uh, drugs for a long enough period of time, it becomes pretty evident on a physical level that there's an issue. But the heart of the issue is always the heart. It starts with the heart. And, we, and that's what I was getting at is when people come in the doors, we often have to realize that 
We cannot help someone who does not want to get better. And, and the same thing is true for you and I tonight. I can give you the Word of God. You can read the Word of God. You can even have times of devotion and prayer. But if you don't want to surrender, if you do not want to get better, if you will, spiritually, you won't. You won't. You have to recognize your need for Christ and then act upon it. And so the heart of the issue is always the heart. And so our author in chapter 3, verse 10 says, they always go astray in their heart. It always starts with the heart. The Bible constantly talks about the heart. I want to give you several scriptures. Uh, If you guys can put them on the screen, that'd be awesome. But I'm going to do them in somewhat rapid fire. So if you can't keep up, it's, it's okay. I understand. But Proverbs, I just want you to sit and just listen to the Word of God for a moment, if you will. Just what some of, some of the, there's, there's hundreds of verses that talk about the human heart, but here's just a few that stuck out to me in my time of preparation. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Do you know what it is to be vigilant? It's to be thorough. It's to be extremely prepared and maybe cautious, depending on what context we're talking about. But it's, it's to, to handle with great, intense care. So my first question for you tonight, how vigilant are you being in protecting your heart and keeping your heart pure before the Lord? You know, in many Christian circles, it's almost become a cliche to say, guard your heart. But really, guarding your heart, and the reason it's become cliche is it's usually revolving around the dating world. But frankly, the Bible talks about guarding your heart on a much more important scale, and it is in the the context of against the schemes of the enemy and against temptation and against the hardening of our hearts. Philippians chapter 4 Verses 6 and 7, a verse that many of us will know well, says this. Do not be anxious about anything. Easy. <laughs> right? We're all, we all got that one down. But in everything. Look, can we just look at the language that Paul is using as he writes to the church in Philippi? Do not be anxious about anything. He doesn't leave any wiggle room there. On key issues like this, the Bible is often very, very clear and black and white. Paul doesn't say in Philippians, don't be anxious about some things. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, here's our idea of being joyful and and an attitude of gratitude as a Christian, knowing the salvation we've received through Christ Jesus. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, if you want to guard your heart, what's the remedy? Well, a very practical application. Pray about everything. 
You want to guard your heart tonight against the schemes of the enemy? Take everything to your heavenly Father in prayer. Psalm 51, verse 10, says this. Psalm 51.10, if you're taking notes. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know, uh, my wife and I, we uh, last night watched Aladdin. And I, I almost watched it only for nostalgia. Uh, our daughter was already, uh, yes, uh, I'm 30 years old, and we sat uh, in our living room last night and ate cookies and watched Aladdin. <laughs> We've had nights recently, my wife and I, uh, where, like, I think there was a night not that long ago, we made chicken nuggets in the air fryer and ate mac and cheese, and I was like, my five-year-old self would have been really happy with this meal. And, I, and my wife was like, you know what? It's good, and it was easy, and we're just going to enjoy this. <laughs> so yeah, last night we were watching Aladdin. And um, the reason I bring that up is because Disney, it, there's, there was actually a lot of things in Aladdin as an adult watching it where I was like, wow, I don't want my kids to watch this movie. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how that happens. But Disney and our... our uh, Children's movies often say what? Follow your heart, right? You guys watch Family Feud? <laughs> the red X should show up on the screen every time that happens. Like the other opposing families are always given the X. They're hoping the answer's wrong. Do not follow your heart. In fact, the scripture says, trust in the Lord and follow his ways because his ways are higher than ours. In fact, the scripture goes so far as to say, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. <laughs> Don't follow your heart. Now, granted, I will say there are also evidences in scripture that our hearts are refined and made new and can become pure. And so it's not to say that taking that one Old Testament passage and saying, oh, our heart is deceitfully wicked and that means our heart's always deceitfully wicked. I don't think that's always true because as we are sanctified and made into the image of Christ, our hearts do become more purified. But ultimately, we don't look to our heart for direction in life. We look to our Heavenly Father. And so Psalm 51.10, what a great verse. Create in me, O God, a clean heart. Matthew 15 says in verse 18, Matthew chapter 15, 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. See, the breaking down and the hardening of the heart can be happening underneath, and people don't see it. But oftentimes, a hard heart is revealed in what? The way that we speak. In fact, you've seen it and I've seen it. Maybe in our own life in different seasons. Maybe this is you tonight. Maybe it's somebody that you know well who you've seen a hardening heart beginning to grow inside of them and it's being revealed through their words. And so Jesus says, truly I say to you, it is what comes out of a man that defiles him. And we see it all the time. I see it all the time. 
And so, and maybe you've met somebody. I've met people like this uh, as a pastor. This happens often because maybe I'll meet somebody new. I'm a pretty outgoing person, so I'll make small talk with people. And nowadays, uh, if you say hello to somebody in the grocery store, there's a 50-50 shot that they're going to think you're a freak or they're going to be like refreshed and be like, oh, wow, a personable person. So you got to take a gamble now when you do this. Um, my daughter is really good, uh, a really good way to initiate this, though, because Having a, a small little girl who's pretty cute is, is kind of like having a puppy. Nobody cares about you anymore. They just care about your, your child. I remember when my wife and I got our first dog. Uh, her name's Honey. She's a red golden retriever, a really pretty dog. And then we also have a um, uh, uh, Siberian Husky, and he's a red Siberian Husky. So he has a red coat instead of like black and white. It's red and white. Really pretty dog. Uh, and his name's Duke. And I remember <laughs> I took Duke out one day, uh, and this was before we had kids, so I did things like taking a dog out just for the heck of it. And uh, <laughs> I took Duke with me to Home Depot, and I found throughout my time at Home Depot that no one talked to me. People came up and they did this. They completely ignored me and said, oh, hey, buddy, how you doing, right? And that's kind of how it is when you have kids, too. People just completely look past you. And so anyway, my daughter is oftentimes a good icebreaker into a conversation with somebody. But what I have often found is that in the midst of conversation, you begin to really, you can quickly identify uh, somebody's heart by the words that they speak. And so you can usually kind of get a good idea of somebody's character even pretty quickly after they begin to open their mouth. I believe it was Abraham Lincoln who said, better to be thought of as a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> and so we have to be careful that we guard our hearts. And if what we are saying is growing progressively more unholy, if you will, then we may need to take a look at where we're at. Matthew 12, 33 through 34, a last verse for you on the heart, says um, the caption here, that the, the heading uh, you may have is, a tree is known by its fruit. And Matthew 12, 33, it says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Here's Jesus being really politically correct and gentle. You brood of vipers, he says. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Man, Jesus is just the, he's the guy. And we have this weird idea of Jesus in our Western evangelicalism that paints this very pale-skinned, blue-eyed character that goes around passing out heart candies to everybody. Can I tell you that though Jesus was perfectly loving, he was also perfectly just, and he dealt with sin the way that sin must be dealt with. And he wasn't afraid to call out people who were acting ungodly or hypocritical in this case. And he says to these religious leaders and the like, you brood of vipers. Jesus is essentially saying, you guys are fake. Because you say one thing and you do another. 
And frankly, what comes out of your mouth defiles you and it reveals what's going on in your hearts. You're not surrendered to the Lord. You don't know my heavenly Father, is what Jesus is saying, if I could paraphrase. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. So our author continues now with that, this idea of looking to our heart and ultimately, if you go back to 11 for a moment, what does he say was the result of people not guarding their heart and going astray? They did not enter into the promised land, or as the, the verse puts it, into my rest. You want to be at peace tonight? You want to be, at, you want to be able to rest tonight spiritually? Then allow the Lord to work in your heart. Verse 12 he says, so take care, or I believe the New American Standard puts it, see to it. This kind of has the same idea as if you go back to the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, he says, consider Jesus. There's this idea of paying close attention. You could say the same idea is now here as he continues to write to them. He says in verse 12 of Hebrews 3, take care, pay attention. All right, be mindful, brothers, lest there be any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So here's a verse that directly contradicts the message of our Disney movies of the day, follow your heart. Well, the author of Hebrews says, oh, be careful because if you have a heart that's not being restored and renewed by Christ, that heart will lead you to fall away. It will lead you away from the living God, he says. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful, isn't it? Man, you know, as I have grown as a, as a Christian and as I have, uh, by God's grace, matured in my faith, I have become better at identifying the lies of the enemy. Amen? I hope that that's the same for you, that you've been able to better identify as you get to know the heart of your heavenly father better, you are able to more quickly identify the holes in the midst of the enemy's facade and lies. The scripture says that the enemy masquerades himself as an angel of light. When you are faced with temptation, the enemy is very good at his job. He seeks, as the scripture says, someone to devour not, not he seeks someone out to just hang out with for a minute. No, no, no. The scripture says he seeks someone who he may devour, destroy, annihilate. The enemy doesn't want to play any games. He simply wants to destroy you, and that's just the fact of the matter. And when you are able to identify the lies, and the, and the, and the way that you will be able to identify those lies is by knowing Christ. The more that you know Christ, the more you will be able to recognize the things that he is not. And I have found for me personally that when I'm faced with temptation, prayer is the answer. Uh, for me, it may be a, a different things, but it may be changing my location on a very practical level. It might be wherever I am, if that place is causing an issue for me, leave. Remember Joseph when Potiphar's wife says for like the third time, if I'm not mistaken, hey, sleep with me. 
And we know, just historically, Potiphar had his pick of women. This was not an unattractive woman. This would have been a very beautiful woman by worldly standards that was coming to a young man and saying, I want you to sleep with me. And she continued to push and push. And what did Joseph do in the face of temptation? He ran. That is wisdom, especially in the context of sexual temptation. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody here tonight. In fact, I know I'm speaking to multiple people tonight, to all of us tonight. When you are faced with sexual temptation, run, run, because there is nothing good for you there. And it will lead to death. And it will be the same thing every time. Oh, and the enemy loves to paint. Well, this time will be different, right? This time you'll feel great after. Oh, I know last time and the last hundred times you felt shame and guilt and condemnation, but not this time. No, no, no. This time will be better. And then you take the bait and what happens? You fall into the same old place. So when you are faced with temptation, as verse 12 says, see to it that if there is evil in your heart, unbelief, if your heart is beginning to become hardened, run, run. So he says in verse 13, to the church, to a group of believers, exhort one another. When is the last time you encouraged another Christian in your life? I hope it wasn't that long ago. And you, friend, need to be encouraged as well. And some of us are so stinking prideful, we think we can do it ourselves. And you will, you will fail over and over again. You need brothers and sisters in your life who are coming alongside you. I, pick, I, I think of the picture when uh, the, the nation is in, in war and as long as uh, Moses' hands are up, right? And what happens? Brothers come alongside him and they hold him up. You need that picture to be a practical thing in your life. You need people who will hold up your arms when you have no strength left. That is how you will overcome. Ultimately, it will be through the, God, the, the power of God, but you need people who will exhort you. And he says, exhort each other occasionally? No. What does he say? He says in verse 13, exhort each other every day. Every day. So that, what's the result of regular exhortation and accountability in the Christian life? What is the direct correlation, the direct result that will yield itself from regular community in the, in the body of Christ so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Do you want to avoid having a heart that is growing hardened towards the things of God? Then be in regular fellowship with Christians not lukewarm people. I'm talking about Christians who are going to push you to be better. Bad company, Scripture says, corrupts good morals. You know, I have seen this in my own life. I have uh, different people that I talk with occasionally. I have some neighbors even. Uh, I have one neighbor in particular, super great guy, but he's got a pretty foul mouth. And I've noticed, and I don't use profanity ever, but I, and that's never really been something I've done, but I've noticed this. When I'm talking to this individual for a long period of time, 
I start to notice myself having to be more intentional about the words I pick as I speak. Because the longer he talks, the, the more those words are on the forefront of my mind. And so I have to begin praying, Lord, I want to be a good witness and I want to be consistent. So guard my heart now as I talk to this individual so that I don't start slipping in his presence. And it's amazing how quickly that can happen. And if any of you have not experienced that, I want to know your secret. Because you see it, right? You get around people who have loose morals and have maybe lower standards than they ought to have, especially as professing Christians. And it is so much easier, so much easier to just go with the flow than to say, hey guys, maybe we shouldn't be using these words. I remember one uh, occasion years ago, my wife and I were at an event. Some things started to transpire that we both felt uncomfortable with. It happened to be on a Saturday night, and I'm thinking, I'm getting up in a couple of hours to lead worship at church. We need to go. And I'm thankful for my wife who um, has such a pure heart. And and we just kind of looked at each other and said, I think it's time to go. (laughs) And it was uncomfortable. It was awkward. Let's not kid ourselves. Taking a stand on these issues is not easy. But the natural fruit and the overflow of a life that continually is on guard in these areas will be that that life will be sanctified and will be becoming more holy. Scripture says, be holy as I am holy. That's what the Lord says to his people. Be holy. Are are you holy tonight? I mean, really? Really? Or do you blend in with whoever you happen to be hanging out with and just go with the flow? And man, I get it. It's easier. It's easier to just blend in. But ultimately, what the Lord says to us is, if you know me and if you're being sanctified and made more into my image, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. I remember years ago listening to a message from Pastor Greg Laurie talking about being a light. And it is funny how Sunday's message, as I was uh, sitting with you guys and listening, I was just thinking about all the ways that Sunday's message tied in with tonight's text about taking a stand and being on guard. And we talked about being a city on a hill and being a light. And I remember uh, years ago listening to a message about that from Greg Laurie, and he gave an example that I thought was good. And maybe you've heard this before, but if, if not... Um, he said, you know, when you're in a movie theater, in a dark environment, right, that, you know, you take out your phone and you think about, like, your, the, the, the brightness. There's my daughter. You think about the, the brightness of your phone screen. That's not really significant at all. In fact, this would not bother anybody in this, in this context, right? But in a dark atmosphere, that, that one guy that thinks that he's the one guy that's allowed to text during the movie, man, that screen is so utterly obnoxious, isn't it? And it's amazing how even a dim source of light in a dark environment sticks out. And that's ultimately the call on our lives as Christians is that we are to go into a dark world. And yes, you will stand out. And you will stand out and that makes you more vulnerable to persecution, to being ridiculed for your faith. And you can count it all joy, as James says, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what we're reading about tonight. You want to be able to hold fast, embrace the difficult aspects of your Christian life. James says embrace them, count them as joy. I don't know about you, but 
When I'm uh, mocked for my Christian faith, I'm not usually saying, praise the Lord. Oh, that feels great. No, usually I'm like, wow, that really stunk. And I'm kind of angry, <laughs> right? You know, I, um, I've been a Christian most of my life. And, uh, you know, my, my father explained to me the gospel when I was about five years old. And that is the beauty of the gospel, that even as a five-year-old, I could understand that I needed a savior. Did I understand eschatology and uh, apologetics and <laughs> different aspects of theology and all these things that we study? No. But I, I understood one thing. I understood that Jesus cared for me and that he was the answer to all the issues I was going to face in life. That's, the, that's it, right? And then you grow from there. And praise God that it can be understood by children because the gospel is simple at its core. And I, I don't think I've really ever shared much of my testimony, but I did um, go through a pretty fair amount of what I would call persecution through my junior high and high school years. My parents put me in public school my whole life. Um, I was certainly not a sheltered child by any means. Um, I went to a pretty rough middle school. In fact, in seventh grade, I watched a kid get stabbed and almost die right in front of me because of gang-related violence. Um, and two of the kids that were involved in the incident were some of my closest friends that I grew up playing baseball with. And uh, my eyes began to be opened as a young teenager to the realities of how broken our world really is. And as I began to uh, grow in junior high and high school as a Christian and uh, began to start to see things differently because all of us know those seasons of life where your eyes begin to be open to the fact that the world is really messed up and broken, um, I started to stick out a little bit more. And through high school, I was pretty brutally ridiculed for my faith. And I don't say that for your sympathy or your pity, um, but it was, it was rough for, for me in high school. Um, and it is odd now when I run into guys that I played baseball with in high school because I'm still doing the same thing that I was doing then. I was serving at my church and committed to the Lord and oftentimes they're still doing what they were doing in high school, if you know what I mean. And I had many days where I wanted to give up as a young Christian, many days. I had many days where I dreaded the idea of going back onto that field and having to deal with being the butt of pretty much every joke. Uh, I was a musician from a young age. I played drums predominantly in high school, and I was really into death metal. Uh, some of you will never understand that, and that's okay. Um, that's the one where they're like, yeah. So uh, if you were wondering, no way, yeah. So, but I, I listened to all these Christian bands uh, that were like death metal bands and like hardcore bands, and I loved it. Uh, it was super fun to play drums to. Uh, I don't listen to that music much anymore because I, I'm not that old, but I'm getting old enough where I'm like, oh, that's, that's a lot, yeah. But every once in a while when I'm like trying to hit a max on bench press at the gym, I will put on some of my favorite Impending Doom songs. That's a Christian band, by the way. I think all their songs are written out of the uh, judgment passages in Revelation. <laughs> They're very fitting lyrics for that style of music. Um, but all that to say is I, I remember... 
just years of being mocked for even the bands I listened to, uh, just Christian bands, and I didn't really use profanity in high school. I, I remember one particular situation where I was dating a girl, and I was not going to sleep with her, and I remember that that got around on the baseball squad, and it was like a running joke for almost two months, like making fun of me for being a virgin. And um, just things like that, I think you get the picture. And my point in saying this is not to, I don't need your pity. In fact, I'm thankful for those things because they stretched me in a mighty way through the Lord's grace. I, I, I made it through those seasons, and, but I had many seasons where I wanted to give up. And uh, I felt like I would go to church and I'd be told by people that I trusted, just keep planting seeds, the Lord will do the work. And I didn't see the Lord doing the work. Um, and those were hard times in my life. And I had many moments through my high school season where I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm very much able to look back on my, my younger days as a Christian. I know I'm still young, but as my younger days as a teenager, growing in the Lord and, and knowing that honestly what sustained me through that season was having church community and, and frankly having a father that was there for me. Amen. And um, I had some days where I went home during those seasons and I looked at my dad and said, I can't do this anymore. And I really wanted to play college baseball so I wanted to stick it out because I wanted to succeed and I ended up quitting the team my senior year because the Lord confirmed through a lot of different things, including a pretty bad injury to my left ankle, that uh, he had something different for me, and it was ultimately to be a worship leader. And, um, but I had a lot of seasons where, a lot of days in that season where I, I, I wanted to give up. And having a a mother and a father who were committed to the Lord at home who set an example and having genuine Christians around me who actually cared for my well-being spiritually and they weren't just gonna be yes men around me but they were gonna challenge me kept me afloat. And if you are struggling tonight to stay the course and to hold fast, you have to have community around you. You cannot be an island. You won't make it. And so I share a bit of my journey with you to encourage you and to say this, that in verse 14, our author says, back to Hebrews chapter three, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Brother, sister, hold on. Stay the course because the reward that is to be in the presence of Jesus and to know him eternally far outweighs the struggles that you will face in this life. I look back on that season of my life and there's still undoubtedly some pain there. Um, but I also have run into guys over the last 11 or 12 years since high school and I have had the opportunity to minister to them. In fact, in this very room, a few years after we had all graduated, one of the guys that a lot of us grew up with and played ball with most of our lives overdosed and died. And a lot of my baseball squad from high school ended up in this room. And guess what I was doing? I was ministering. 
and I was on this stage leading worship in front of a bunch of guys that ridiculed me for my faith for years. And you know what they all said that day? Well, many of them, and they all called me Lance. I don't think anybody knew my first name. But they, they, many guys said, hey, Lance, thank you for doing that. And I said, we're here every Sunday. The door's always open. And so you don't know what the Lord will do. And some of you, I praise God for those little moments where the Lord said, I'm working. Don't lose sight of the fact that I'm working. Some of you haven't seen those moments yet. Maybe you have situations where you haven't seen any fruit and you're wondering if the Lord is doing anything. Hold on. Hold fast. And that's really what our passage is hinged on because he says in verse 14, if indeed we hold to our original confidence, firm to the end. And then he quotes Psalm 95 again in verse 15, and he says, As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then he asks some key questions as we wrap up our time tonight. He says this, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Here's what he's saying. None of the people who rebelled in those early seasons of wandering, it's not like they didn't know what God had done. They knew what God had done, but they lost sight. They forgot. They were led astray by an unbelieving and ever-growing hardening heart. And so he's asking the question, didn't they all see what God did? And yet still, they rebelled. 17, and with whom was it that he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell into the, in the wilderness? And verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of one word, unbelief. Jesus often in the New Testament expressed disappointment in people because they did not believe. Jesus looked at people on multiple occasions and who knows how many times outside of recorded scripture and said, oh, ye of little faith, why don't you believe? What more is this if Jesus is saying, it's as if our author is saying, what more could God do to prove himself faithful? What more do you want? And we live in a culture that's constantly saying, oh, if the Lord would just give me a sign. Well, I don't know. I don't know if God exists. But the, the scripture says that creation alone testifies to his glory. It says that no man will be left without, an, they'll be left without excuse because every man in the deepest part of his heart knows that there is a God. And they choose, as scripture says, to suppress the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, therefore, let anyone who thinks, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, says, let anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. Be careful, he says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, 
He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Paul is not avoiding the reality that you will face temptation in the life as a Christian, right? No, he's saying you're going to be tempted and every time you are tempted, your heavenly father will faithfully provide you a way of escape. But you have to take it. You have to take it. And oftentimes we get to that crossroads as believers and we say, I don't know. Because as Jesus says, the road to destruction is wide open. It's wide open and many take it. But the road to righteousness, the road to knowing Christ and being with him forever, it's a narrow road full of many trials. John 16, eight through nine says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe. The children of Israel did not enter the promised land because of unbelief. Alistair Begg in a sermon on this passage says this, and I quote, it is not difficult for us to note that there is a direct interface between the deaf ear, the hard heart, and the wandering life. You show me an individual who while professing faith in Jesus Christ is wandering from the track, is trying to mark time along the middle ridge, as it were, somewhere between devotion and declension. And I can guarantee you that this individual has a hard heart and a deaf ear. A hard heart and a deaf ear. They may still be sitting, hear this tonight, out in the congregation while God's word is being spoken, but they do not listen. And they certainly do not listen with the ears of their heart. And their heart has become increasingly hardened. And the harder it becomes, the more they begin to find grounds for unbelief. Oh, well, look at him and look at her. And I don't like the way that this is done. And I don't like, I don't think that that's how that should have been done. Alistair Begg says, it is a very precarious position in which we find ourselves. And that's why our author says in Hebrews 3.12, take care, see to it, lest there be an evil heart in any of you that would lead you away from the Lord. There's so much more that we could talk about tonight, but we are out of time. I want to share a closing story with you. Suffering from a degenerative eye disease, Eric Weinmayer lost his sight when he was just 13 years old. But that did not stop him because on May 25th, 2001, he reached the peak of Mount Everest. On a mountain where 90% of climbers never make it to the top, and 165 people have died trying since 1953, Eric succeeded in large measure because he listened well. While climbing, Eric listened to the little bell tied to the back of the climber in front of him so that he would know what direction to go. He listened to the voice of teammates who would shout back to him, death fall, two feet to your right, so he would know what direction not to go. He listened to the sound of his pick jabbing the ice so that he would know whether the ice was safe to cross. When we take a perilous journey, listening well can make all the difference. How well are you listening tonight to the one who's supposed to be guiding you?
Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. You must know his voice. Get well acquainted with his voice. Be able to identify it out of a crowd, out of the onslaught of voices in this life. Be able to hear and identify the voice of your heavenly father because he will faithfully lead you through the trials of this life. Amen? Amen. You know, it's such a precious thing. My daughter knows my voice. She knows my voice. She knows her mother's voice. In fact, scientific studies have shown that your child learns the tones of your voice before they are even born. So that when your child is born and you begin to speak, it's comforting to your child because he or she already knows the voice of her mother and father. Before they're even born, they know their mom and dad's voice. I released a new song a couple weeks ago called Stuck, and I was playing it the other day. It came on the playlist, and if you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen this video. And the song started playing. My daughter was eating a cookie, and by the way, as a one-and-a-half-year-old, when you have a cookie, all else fades into the background. And uh, she's eating her cookie, and she's kind of minding her own business, and the song started playing, and she went, Dada? And as a father, that was like, oh, man, that's it right there. And these are the moments that are so precious. How much more important and precious is it when you know your heavenly father's voice? Know his voice. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time studying tonight. We thank you that you are always faithful to speak and to guide us. And Lord, we need to hear your voice. Maybe uh, some of us, Lord, I know this is true for me sometimes, Lord, we're too busy talking and we need to listen more to that still small voice that would say, come this way. Don't go that way. Stay away from that. Lord, we want to be well acquainted with your guiding voice tonight. And thank you. Thank you, Father, that your scripture promises us that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And so we're in, when we're in the midst of trials, when we're in the midst of these moments where we feel like we have no idea where to turn, you're there and you're faithful and you're speaking and you're leading and you're guiding. Does it mean that we're gonna have this audible voice all the time that's guiding us through things? No. But thank you, Lord, that you've already spoken. And so if we want to know your voice, we have your word that we can study and know well. And knowing it will get us through the trials of this life. And so... Uh, ultimately, to know your word is to know you and to know your heart. And so, uh, Lord, I, I pray for the group here tonight that, that we would continue to know you. We would continue to grow and be shaped more into your image. And we give you the glory that you hold us fast. When I feel that my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.